Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Some assembly required. Some assembly required. Those three words strike fear into many hearts, and if they don't, they should. You know, maybe you've been there. I have. You know, the parent up late on Christmas Eve with, you know, that new play set or the bicycle. Some assembly required. You may, maybe you brought it home. It looked so nice in the store and you ordered it and it got delivered to your house. And then you realized that that piece of Ikea furniture, there was some assembly required. Maybe setting up that new TV with all those cables and those connections. Some assembly required. Now, even in the case where there's assembly required, a good company provides you everything that you need for the project. They give you all the pieces. Sometimes they'll even include for you the necessary tools, maybe small wrenches or screwdrivers. And most importantly, they give you clear instructions on how you're supposed to assemble the project. You know, some companies have gone as far as to host YouTube tutorials or pictures so that you have an example that you can follow. Or maybe even an online community forum where you could post questions. And receive tips or encouragement from other people that have assembled or are assembling the same project that you're working on. Some companies even have 800 numbers that you could call for live assistance and getting the project together. You you get everything from the company. They provide it. They give you all that you need to assemble your project. But there is still some assembly required. A part that you must play to bring the project together to its completion. And church, it's the same way with our spiritual life. The heart of today's passage that you just heard Kevin read for us is a command. It's in the imperative tense. It's an imperative command, and it's found in verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation. Now, we read something like that, and the first place that we probably go is, well, what does that mean? What about grace? What does it mean, work out your own salvation? Doesn't God work salvation for us in Christ? Didn't Paul also write in Romans 11:6, if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Didn't Paul celebrate in Ephesians 6, 8, and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. So how then today can Paul write, 
work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. Church, it is. It is by grace, but there is some assembly required. You see, the gospel, the good news is that we can be saved from the penalty and power of our sins, not because of our work, but because of Christ's work for us. It is not of your own doing. It is not a result of your works. It is a gift. It is pure grace. It is undeserved. It is freely given. It is humbly received. And so if you've come here exhausted because you've been trying hard to work for your salvation, if you've shown up today and you are weary of trying to work up to meriting God's love, if you're here today and you're hopeless because you recognize that you are unable to work in the change that you need in your life, then hear the good news. Hear the gospel. You cannot work for, you cannot work up, you cannot work in your own salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith, a gift of God. It is freely given and it is freely received. And if you've come here today and never understood that and never received that gift, then I hope you won't leave today without receiving it. I hope you don't leave today without talking to me at the end of the service or coming and praying with the prayer team who will be up front at the end of the service or just talking to the person who brought you today because they too would love to tell you about the free gift of grace that God offers us all. So yes, salvation is by grace. You can never work for, work up, or work in your own salvation. But Paul's point today is that we can work out what Christ has worked in. Church, we're called to work out what Christ by grace has worked in. To this project of following Jesus, there is some assembly required. Now, God graciously, he's provided everything we need. All the parts and tools have been provided to us free of charge. God's provided us examples of those who've gone before us, recorded in the scripture and in church history. God has provided a community of those also working on this same project so that we can support and encourage one another in it. He even provides live support and empowerment. Because remember, Paul wrote at the end of that passage, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. That's the best live support I've ever heard. God provides it all by grace. Yet, make no mistake, this project of following Jesus, there is some assembly required. You see, we are called to work out the salvation that God, by grace, has worked in. In the very next chapter of Philippians, we're going to hear Paul write, only let us live up to what we've already attained. Let us live up to what we've already attained. By grace, you've already attained it. By grace, you've already been given salvation. By grace, God has already worked that salvation in. Now, partner with grace to work out what salvation, that salvation. What God has worked in by grace, you work out with his power. This concept in no way diminishes the truth that salvation is by grace alone. Rather, as author and professor Dallas Willard famously said, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Church, we cannot and do not work for, we cannot work up, we cannot work in our own salvation. We do not and cannot earn it. However, 
we are called to expend effort to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're called to partner with God, expending effort to work out the salvation that he by grace has worked in. Now, church, this idea is a lot easier to understand if we consider the analogy of the farmer. Consider the analogy of the farmer. Now, to give credit, this is an illustration by a man named Tony Evans, who I'm also going to quote. But consider with me the farmer who wants to produce a crop of corn. Now, where's the harvest going to come from? The harvest is all contained in the seed, isn't it? If he wants a harvest, it starts in the seed. It's all contained in that seed. And the seed itself is supplied to the farmer by God. God's the giver of good gifts. And the DNA inside that seed that's going to make it grow, that's from God too. And the soil and the nutrients that are going to nurture that seed, that's from God. The rain that's going to come and water that seed, that's from God. The sunshine that brings energy and growth, that's from God. Everything that is responsible for that little seed to grow and produce a harvest is pure grace. It's given by God. Yet even though everything comes from God by grace, that farmer still has a part to play. I mean, imagine with me that we have a farmer. We'll call him Farmer Brian. I really wish he hadn't gone upstairs to his children's church. So let's not tell him about this. Now, imagine with me that we have a farmer. We'll call him Farmer Brian. And Farmer Brian decided that rather than planting his corn seeds this year, he was just going to pray and believe that he would have a great crop. And every day we drove by and we saw Farmer Brian standing by his empty fields, convinced that the stuff will grow even though he hasn't put any seeds in the ground. And even if Farmer Brian persisted in elaborate prayers, prayers that expressed his full trust in God to provide a crop, there's not going to be a crop. Yes, even if Farmer Brian fasted and prayed, there's going to be no crop. Farmer Brian's responsibility was to sow the seed. And if you skip that, You couldn't expect to reap a crop. Any farmer knows that. But church, the question is, do we know that? Too often, we irresponsibly might say, just let go and let God. And we act like Farmer Brian. We overlook the barren, unplowed, unsown fields of our lives, and yet we believe there's going to be a great harvest. No, we can't make that seed grow. It's all grace. But friends, we have a part to play. We must plant the seed if it is to grow, if there's going to be a harvest. So Paul writes to the church in Philippi and he writes to the church on Chestnut Street. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Church, another word for working out your salvation with fear and trembling is a five syllable word. Sanctification. Sanctification. It's a five syllable word that makes you sound really smart. And it describes what Paul is talking about here. Because to fully understand our salvation, to fully understand the salvation that Christ has brought us, we need to understand past, present, and future. If we're going to understand, we have to look at the whole of salvation, past, present, and future. You see, in the past, upon coming to faith by grace, we were saved from the penalty and the guilt of our sin. That's called another five-syllable word, justification. Justification is a forensic term. You and I were declared not guilty. And that happened immediately, 
immediately upon coming to and confessing our faith in what Jesus has done, the penalty was removed completely and immediately. It's just as we sing in the hymn, To God Be the Glory, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. That moment, immediately, they are justified, declared not guilty. That is our justification. That moment we are justified. And so when we discuss our salvation past, we're talking about our justification, which was immediate. However, when we talk about our salvation in the future, what's yet to come one day, we're discussing another five-syllable word, our glorification. One day Jesus will return, and at that time, church, we will be made perfect. One day there will be final and complete victory over all sin, and all things are going to be made new. One day... Your struggles, your temptations, your weaknesses, your sickness, your sadness, your sin, it's going to be no more. This glorification will be ultimate. It will be final. It will be complete. But Paul's not writing about our justification. And he's not writing about our glorification. What he's writing to us about today is right in the middle. He's writing about the present day. He's writing about, so this great salvation that we have, there's the past, there's the future, but what about the present? How does that salvation manifest itself? How is it lived out right here and now? And that is sanctification. Sanctification. Now, sanctification doesn't come immediately like justification, immediately declared not guilty. And sanctification doesn't come ultimately like glorification when we're all done. Sin is done, it's perfect, it's complete. No, sanctification comes progressively, over time, over time. Sanctification grows more and more each day. You and I work out in our lives salvation with fear and trembling. Salvation, sanctification is progressively living up to what we've already attained. It's working out our salvation with fear and trembling every day, in every situation, in every encounter. What God started with our justification, he will one day bring to completion in our glorification when Jesus returns. But for now, we live in the middle. You know, this is the idea that Paul actually started the letter with, this letter to the Philippians. You might remember in the last chapter, chapter 1, verse 6, he said, And this I am sure, and I am sure of this, that he who began that good work in you will bring it on to completion when? In the day of Christ Jesus. But we live in the time in between. We live in the present. So what does our salvation look like here in the present? What should it look like? And it's the word sanctification. Now understanding this, it's clear that when we talk about salvation, then we're in danger. We could make one of two mistakes when we think about our salvation. You know, the person who lives in the past might say, well, I'm already forgiven. There's nothing more for me to do. I already repented. I already confessed. Doesn't grace cover it? Well, yes and no. We are immediately forgiven and justified by by grace. But Christ came to free us not just from sin's penalty, but sin's power. Church, Christ came to free us not just from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. As the hymn, Rock of Ages, says, Be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath 
and make me pure. Or there's an adaptation in our hymnal that says, cleanse me from its guilt and power. But either way, we need a double cure. Christ came to not only free us from the penalty of sin so that we're justified, we're declared not guilty. He came to purify us, free us from sin's influence. To that end, salvation is not one and done. I did that. Christ forgave me. I repented once. Following Jesus, there's some assembly required. The Christian life is the work of progressive sanctification, ongoing repentance, continually turning to God more and more and more. And in fact, did you know, did you know that that was the battle cry that started the Protestant Reformation? It wasn't grace alone. It wasn't faith alone. It wasn't sola scriptura, scripture alone. It wasn't the priesthood of believers. On October 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, the first of the theses was not about justification or the authority of scripture or the priesthood of believers. The first of his theses was, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. He willed that the entire life of the believer to be one of ongoing, ever deeper repentance. There is some assembly required. And by grace through faith, we are immediately justified, saved from sin's penalty, and then begins the life of following Jesus, daily turning to Christ in repentance, working out that salvation with fear and trembling that Christ has worked in by grace. And we see the power of sin and its influence diminish as we turn from sin and turn continually back to God. You know, Martin Luther also wrote about this process, and I like how he says it. He said, this life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. It's not health, but it's our healing. It's not being, but becoming. It's not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be. But we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it's going on. And this is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. Church, I love that statement. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing towards it. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing towards it. That is sanctification. That is following Jesus. That is the living out, the working out of our salvation with fear and trembling. That is daily repentance, daily turning to Christ. Salvation is not just in the past. It must be lived in the present. Salvation is not just in the future. It must be lived in the present. So just as we might make that error living in the past, we also might make that error again by looking too much to the future. God saved me. I'm justified. And one day Jesus is going to come. He's going to bring me home. I'll be glorified. So today I just need to keep my head low and hang on. Keep my head low and hang on. Jesus, is you there yet? Is that what he wants for us just to kind of hide until he comes back? Why battle against sin? We're not going to have any final victory over it yet. And I'm forgiven anyway, aren't I? See, living in the future can breed complacency in the present. But living in the future sometimes also could cause us to concede the present. 
We might become discouraged because we might look and go, well, one day, one day I'll be there and I'll be perfect and I'll be free, but I'm sure not there yet. In fact, I still struggle a lot and I fall more often than I want to admit. Shouldn't I be farther along than I am? And how can God use me? Isn't he just ready to give up on me? Because I feel like I'm dragging and I'm not where I'm not where I will be. And I don't feel like I'm where I should be. So living in the future, we might become discouraged and we might be tempted to just concede. But church, we can neither become complacent nor can we concede in the present. Yes, one day, one day you and I will be glorified. We will have the ultimate and the final victory over our sins and our addictions and our proclivities and our desires and our temptations. But it is not yet that day. Sanctification, working out your salvation with fear, is more about direction than it is destination. Church, it is more about your direction than about your perfection. Because yes, one day we will be perfect. One day we will reach the destination. One day we will, be, we will arrive. One day we will be glorified when Christ returns and we will struggle no more. But until that day, church, we are called to fight. It's as we sang this morning, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors through Christ. You've overcome this world, this life. We will not bow to sin or to shame. We're defiant in your name because you're the fire that can't be tamed. You're the power in our veins, our Lord, our God, our conqueror. Friends, if you are truly saved, the power of the resurrected Christ now burns in your heart, flows through your veins, and purifies your life. If you are truly saved, God is at work in you. As Paul wrote in verse 13, for it is God who works in you. If you are truly saved, it is not your strength. It is the power of the resurrected Christ at work in you. That salvation that God has worked in by grace, he wants to work out. We will not bow anymore to sin or to shame. We will not be its slaves, for we don't serve them as our master. Christ is our master. The salvation of Jesus Christ wants to be expressed today. Not just in the past, not just in the future, but worked out and lived the reality of it in the present. Church, a biblical understanding and experience of salvation must include all three. Past present, and future. We were immediately justified. We will be ultimately glorified. And today, we are being progressively sanctified, living and experiencing the working out of our salvation with fear and trembling. So what does that mean? What does that mean? What does progressive sanctification look like? What does it mean for us to follow Jesus Christ here and now, today. We'll look again at verse 12, right there in your Bible. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. As you've always obeyed, we follow Christ in obedience. We do what he did. We look like him. We act like him. We speak like him. We love like Christ loved. Working out our salvation is progressively following Jesus in greater and greater obedience. You know, Jesus was, was pretty direct about this one. He didn't leave us a lot of wiggle room. 
in John 14, just because we're a little dense and his disciples were a little dense. He hammered this one three times in rapid fire, just in case anybody was tempted to miss it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. We love Jesus. We follow Jesus by obeying Jesus, by becoming like Jesus. Jesus was so unmistakably clear about this that his disciple John later on wrote in his first letter that we have recorded in our New Testament. He said, and by this, we know that we've come to know Christ if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. Ouch. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God's perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Walk in the same way in which Christ walked. Progressively follow Christ in greater and greater obedience. Speak the way Christ spoke more and more often. Act the way Christ acted more and more regularly. Love the way Christ loved more and more fully. As Jesus taught us, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. Progressive sanctification is a call to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, our Lord, Savior, and teacher. To follow Jesus Christ in the present. To grow in our obedience to Him here and now. And to become more like Him. Now church, as you can imagine, and as you probably experienced, this does not happen all at once. It happens progressively. Little by little. And it doesn't happen without discipline. We all know this. Anytime that we want to learn a new skill or a new habit, change takes time. It takes practice. There's some assembly required. So how much more? How much more time do you think it's going to take to change from what we were to what Christ is? It's a pretty big gap. Considering just how great a change that is and just how much assembly will be required, how much time and discipline do you think it's going to take? Church is going to take our whole lives. He who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Discipleship, following Jesus, it uses the same root word as discipline because discipleship is grace-initiated, grace-empowered discipline to follow Jesus. There's some assembly required. We are called to follow Jesus. We're called to become like Him in word and deed. We're called to work out what Christ has worked in. Working from grace, working with grace, to be disciplined by grace, to exert the effort to believe the truth, to train and develop new habits and disciplines which will shape and guide our following of Him. Because while the grace of Jesus saves us immediately, and at his return, the grace of Jesus will save us ultimately, until then, his grace reforms us progressively. Little by little by little by little. 
And we are called to follow. There is some assembly required working out what Christ has worked in, forming new life and new habits, becoming like him. And so it is Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, I discipline my body and keep it under control. He commanded young Timothy, train yourself for godliness. Like the farmer, you must sow the seed. The seed you received by grace. The seed is full of grace. But if you want to see a harvest, you're responsible to plant that seed, to be disciplined. And friends, this is discipleship. Together, we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, following and becoming progressively more like Christ. As we sang this morning, sin will never be our master, captives of thy blessed grace. Offering our lives hereafter, we resolve to seek thy face. We'll follow none but thee. And friends, the life of ongoing repentance is turning from our sin, turning from our desires, turning from ourselves, turning from our plans, and turning, repenting, day after day, more and more deeply towards Him. Following to our one Master and following none but Him. The process is longer and harder than any of us might have imagined. And there's a lot more assembly required than it first appeared. And that's why we need one another. That's why we need discipline. That's why we need discipleship. We cannot be content to just say, I've been justified and forgiven. We cannot be content to just say, in the future Christ will return and make me perfect. We must live His salvation here and now. Past, present, and future right now, progressively working out that salvation with fear and trembling. So church family, how's the project going? Sanctification is not a word we use often, not only because it has five syllables, but because it has such heavy implications. Because if we are to follow none but Him, there's some major assembly required. And I need to stop trying to do it on my own, according to my own plans, according to my own desires and my own instructions. I actually should read the instructions, which I don't always do. I need to stop refusing help. I need to stop trying to do it alone because this project is, is too hard for me to take on myself. I'm going to need to go deeper than I thought. I'm going to need to change more than I realized. I'm going to need to give more than I thought possible. And I'm going to need to be disciplined in ways that humble me. Working out the salvation that Christ has worked in, it's going to require much assembly. So church, what is God currently trying to do in you? Where are you resisting going deeper? Where are you struggling and refusing obedience? Where are you clinging to the old? Where and how have you given up or just given in? Because there's still much assembly required for all of us. And the challenge, the question is, are we willing? Let's pray together. Father, that song that we sang, we resolve to seek thy face. We resolve to seek thy face. May that be our prayer. May that be true of us. Help us as we seek your face. May we be changed more and more until we reflect the likeness of Jesus Christ to his glory and for his praise. 
Amen.